book of Philippians in chapter 2. Philippians in chapter 2. And uh, we'll be uh, looking at verses 12 through 16 in Philippians in chapter 2. And as soon as you get there, if you could stand for the reading of God's word in Philippians 2, starting in verse 12. And the Bible says there in Philippians 2, verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for tonight, and thank you, Lord, uh, for a church that we can come to and worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for uh, faithful folks that have come out tonight. Lord, we thank you for your working in their lives. And God, I pray that you please fill, fill us all now with your spirit, Lord. Fill me and speak through me mightily, Lord. I pray that you'd fill each and every one of the people in here tonight, Lord. May they receive the word with all readiness, Lord. And uh, may they be changed uh, because of it, Lord. And I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Growth, it's a normal and it's a healthy um, process of life. I mean, you think about it, uh, as I've been away, I've noticed a lot of people have grown a lot. A lot of the kids that were little tiny guys when I first left, now they're taller than me. Uh, when uh, a lot of the kids, I was just thinking of Aiden. I mean, when I first uh, lived with the Smiths, Aiden was just like one or two years old. Now he's walking around, he doesn't even know who I am. I mean, it's, it's awesome. So, But a growth, it's, it's a normal process of life. Uh, it's not something you think, oh, well, I'm going to grow today, or it just happens. Uh, growth is natural. Growth occurs in, in a lot of areas. A lot of people, maybe those that are a little older, you've, you've grown, maybe not this way, but maybe you've grown this way. And, I mean, we all grow, uh, and growth happens, and growth is uh, something that uh, God has put place in our, in our existence. But the thing is, we always think of growth as just physical. But the Bible talks about spiritual growth. And tonight, I'd really like, to, to, like us to focus on what spiritual growth is, how we can look at it, how we can see that progress, that growth in our lives, and see if that growth and progress isn't taking place the way it should. And spiritual growth. And today, tonight, I'd just like us to look at three keys uh, of spiritual growth that we can see here in Philippians chapter 2. Three keys to spiritual growth that we need in our lives. Uh, how they're, they're signs, they're, they're guides that can help us to see if we're growing in our spiritual lives, to see if the Lord is really doing the things in our lives, that uh, if we're allowing the Lord to do those things in our lives, uh, that should be done. So here in Philippians 2, let's look first at verses 12 and 13, where it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And first off, I can see the first key to spiritual growth is we must see the source 
of consistency. We must see the source of that consistency of growth in our lives. How that it doesn't come from us. How that if it came from us, that it would be a work. It'd be, it'd be something apart from God. It would be something that could not be spiritual growth. And first off, we see in verse 12 that there's a sober command for us to grow. Where Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How this is a serious thing. This isn't just something we should take flippantly. It's just something that we should just uh, have on, our, uh, on the side. Something that's not a focus in our lives. But spiritual growth should be a focus, should be a, a, a goal in our lives that we should allow the Lord to work. And we see the sober command, how the Bible says that we are bought with a price. We're not our own. God, he shed his own blood to save us, to redeem us, to bring us back to him. And who are we to say that, oh, well, spiritual growth, well, I guess I'll set that on the side. We're not our own. God has commanded us to grow. Just as a, a child grows uh, without any working of his own, God, he wants to work in us. And if we fight that growth, that's only going to damage and hurt our spiritual lives. And we can see babies and adults, I mean, we, ch- we don't choose to grow. It's something that happens. I know growing up, I know Jake too, we, we wanted to be tall. Uh, especially because we played a lot of basketball, we wanted to be tall. I can think Jake especially, I mean, he would try and uh, like look on the internet what kind of vitamins he could take to make him grow taller. I mean, he wanted to get tall so bad, and I did too. But growth, it's, it's not something that we can muster up in our own ability. It's not something we can muster up in, with our own mind, with our, our own abilities. But it's something that comes from the Lord. Just like our physical growth, it's not, well, I guess we could kind of help it along sometimes when we eat too much and we might grow. But, but we can't help that physical growth. It's something that is a natural process the Lord's put place. And that spiritual growth is the same thing. How that we can see here in verse 13. It says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So not only do we see that it's a sober command, that it's a command that we must follow, that we must obey, that we can't and we shouldn't fight against. But secondly, we can see that we can have a selfless confidence. How that in this growth, it's, we don't have to worry about us mustering up enough ability, mustering up enough strength to do this growth on our own, because it's not of, our, uh, of ourselves. But it's God that worketh in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. As Paul, he suffered the same battle as we all face, this battle between the flesh and between the spirit. How that many times we can hope and desire to do the right thing. And if you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Romans in chapter 7, and this is Paul fighting, Paul's battle with the flesh. And we can see this battle, and we can see something very interesting in this battle. How in... uh, Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. And really, most of this chapter talks about it. But how, back in Philippians chapter 2, no need to turn there, but Philippians 2.13, the Bible says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But we can see Paul's battle here in verse 18 of Romans chapter 7. Romans 7.18, it says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Where Paul says, I have the desire to do right. I've been saved. God's put that desire in my heart. I want to do the right thing. I want to grow. I want to develop in the Lord. But to do it, 
I can't find it in myself. He says, to will is present with me. Or he says, I have that will to, to perform the right things, but to do it, I just, I keep falling short. I keep losing. I keep battling and losing this fight. But what we can see here is we can have the victory because it's not in ourselves. If we rely on self, if we rely on our own abilities, we'll fall short every time. And Paul, he realizes this. If you look in Philippians chapter 3, as you turn there, I'll just go through it. Philippians chapter 3, um, and verse, uh, starting in verse 3, where Paul, he, he, sees, he sees this battle between the flesh and between the spirit. And he says, I, I have the desire to do the right thing, but I just can't do it. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, if anybody in the flesh could do the right thing, it's me. If anybody in the flesh could do and grow in the Lord, it's me. Because he says, starting in verse 3, for we are all the circumcision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gain to me, those I count lo- counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the, right, uh, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And Paul, he says here, I have this battle. And he realizes something in this battle. He says, I can have no confidence in the flesh. How I, I have great ability, I, I have a list of, of great things, great accomplishments in my life that I could glory in, in my own flesh, in my own ability, my own doing. He says, but I count those things as dumb. I, I count those things as lost. Because my power, my strength, my ability, my, my desire comes from Christ. He says, all things I count uh, as lost, and do count them as dumb, that I may win Christ. And he says, my power, my ability, my strength comes from Christ and comes from Christ alone. He says, I could glory in the flesh. I could try and do these things in the flesh, but it fails every time. And if we try and grow in the spiritual life, if we try to live the spiritual, the Christian life in our own ability without relying on Christ, can I tell you it'll fail every time? We might have some success. We might say, oh man, this is working. And then the failure will come. As we grow weary, because we're relying on ourselves and not on Christ. And the Bible says in Romans 8.8, 8, let me turn there real quickly. In Romans 8.8, 8, the Bible says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. How we see if we try to do this thing in the flesh, if we try and live our Christian life in the flesh, in our ability, without relying on God, we can't please God. We're unable to please Him. Because there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And the Bible says the only way we can please God is if we live in the spirit. And it's so easy. I I find myself so often doing things in the flesh and not in the spirit. How I just go through my day doing the things I know I should do. 
doing them in my own ability, my own strength, and I look back and, and say, did I ask the Lord for any help? Did I rely on the Lord at all in my life? Or am I just doing this in my own strength, in my own ability, and in turn receiving the glory unto myself and not unto Christ? And if we live that selfish life of living in the flesh, can I tell you, it is so displeasing to God. It is so displeasing to Him. And it's such a a worthless and a vain life, and we'll see that in just a moment, how our life will be so empty and vain if we live it in ourselves but not under Christ. And Paul, he gives us this warning. He gives us this, this source of consistency where he's commanded us to live in the spirit and not in the flesh. He's commanded us to live not in our own ability, but in Christ's ability. How in Colossians, the Bible says that in Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ. Christ, everything God is, is Christ, because God is Christ, and Christ is God. But he says the mystery that has been revealed, the mystery that is revealed is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How all the omnipotence of God is in Christ, who is in you. All the omniscience of God who is in Christ is in you. All all the the attributes of God that God has, they're at your disposal. God wants to work through you to do great and mighty things. He wants to do things greater than, than Christ himself did on this earth. You look in the Gospels, he says that very thing. And can I tell you, we have it in Christ. Let's not look to ourselves Let's look to God enabling us. Let's look to God helping us to live this Christian life the way we should. So we see the source of our consistency in this growth, which is from Christ. But secondly, we can see in verse 14, the scourge of complaining. Where it says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. One of the greatest sins of Israel, of the tribe of, uh, of, of the nation of Israel, especially in the Old Testament, was complaining, was murmuring, was disputing. And if you turn with me to Numbers chapter 11, we can see this, this, this battle that takes place between the Israelites constantly complaining, constantly just murmuring and disputing against God. And if you look there in Numbers chapter 11, and we'll read the first several verses there. In Numbers 11, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place uh, Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. So let's stop here first. How we can see the first, the, the first aspect of complaining is God considers it very serious. How God, he judged the people, he, he burnt people among, among the nation of Israel because of their complaining. Look throughout the Bible, look throughout the Old Testament. One of the greatest judged sins uh, that the people of Israel committed was complaining. More people died of complaining than, than possibly any other judgment that the Israelites faced was because they complained. And complaining is such a scourge. It's such a, 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 just a battle that we face daily. It's so easy to complain. But God considers it such a serious offense. Yet we think it just 
a light thing. We, we don't even think about it when we complain. We complain about the smallest things. Oh, man, it's hot out today. Oh, man, this stinks. Man, this food, it's, oh, man, I wish I had more. This stinks. And we just complain about so many things in our lives. And God says that is a serious offense. And he tells us why. If you look there in verse 4 in Numbers 11, it says, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And the Israelites, they start complaining. Again, a bunch of people just died. And they go right back to complaining again. They say, oh, man, we used to have fish and leeks and garlic. And, oh, we had onions. We had all back in Egypt. We had all this awesome stuff. But now all we have is this manna. I mean, who's going to give us flesh to eat? Please, somebody. And they just start complaining again. And the source of that complaining comes from their lusting after things God had not given them. And our complaining, the source of that complaining is we begin to lust after things that God has not given us. We begin saying, oh man, I wish I had a car like that. And we start complaining about the one we have. Oh man, I, man, I wish I had a house like that. And we start complaining about the one we have. As we begin lusting after the things that God hasn't given us, we begin to look at the things we have and think, oh, that's, man, I wish I didn't have something like that. And we begin to complain. And we can see the seriousness of complaining, and we can see the source of that complaining is as we lust against, uh, uh, after the things God has not given us, when we begin to think that we know better than God. When we think, man, I, I should have that. And we begin lusting after, we begin complaining against, because we think we know better than God. And can I tell you, you don't. You don't know better than God. I don't know better than God. God knows exactly what we need when we need it. And, and it should be so far from us to complain, to lust after the things that we do not have. It should be so far from us to be complainers. As the Bible says in uh, Lamentations, in chapter 3, verse 39, Whereof doth a living man have to complain? If you're alive, how many of you are alive today? Raise your hand. Okay, I see a lot of dead people. Um, <laughs> if you're alive today, you have no reason to complain. None. None at all. How many of you are saved today? Raise your hand. You could say you're alive twice. You have double the reason to not complain. You have no reason whatsoever to complain. The Bible says it clearly. Whereof doth a living man have to complain? There is no reason. And yet we find so many reasons to complain because we feel like we deserve so much more than we have we feel like we deserve anything that we have when the truth is we don't we haven't earned or deserved any of it but every good gift every perfect gift it cometh from above cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning god knows far better than i do and what i should have and what i shouldn't and far be it from me to complain about what god has chosen to give me or what God has chosen to not give me. 
And we should see this solution to, to complaining. How in Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible says to be content. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, to be content. It says in the context of being content, if you're there in, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, you could just look over Philippians 4.13. When Paul says, I've learned, whether I'm abounding or uh, where I'm abased, I've learned to be content. Whatever state I am, therewith to be content. And in that context, he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. As Paul says, one of the hardest things it is for me is to be content. Because he says, I can do all things, anything, even being content, I can do through Christ, which strengthens me. And can I tell you, sometimes it's not easy to be content with some of the things we have. We might think, oh man, I, I wish I had this or this. Or Sometimes it's not easy to be content with the things God's given you. Maybe some of the, the trials that he's given you. Some of the, uh, the sickness or the illness that he's given you. But can I tell you, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. As God, he will give us the ability to be content. And we must learn in whatsoever state we are to be content. As God, he wants us to be content. He wants us to to put off that scourge of complaining. As it's so prevalent in our lives. I know it's so prevalent in mine. How we must learn to not complain, but to rest and trust in God's omniscience. How he knows, he knows exactly what I need. He knows exactly what I don't need. And we must learn to rest in that. So we've seen the source of our consistency. It comes from God's enabling us to grow. We've also seen the scourge of complaining, how it's so prevalent in our lives, how we, learn, how we think we know better than God. And as we get to that point, we begin to complain against what God has given us. But finally, I'd like us to look at verse 14 and 15, where it, says, it shows us that a result of this growth should be a shining of our candle, a shining of our light to a lost and dying world. Where it says in verse 15 in Philippians 2, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So we can see the shining of our candle. Now, when that spiritual growth takes place in our lives, when we begin to grow, when we begin to, to rely on God to enable us, when we begin to put off that complaining and rest in God's omniscience, when we begin to rest in God's wisdom, that growth will take place and it will begin to, as that change takes place inside, it will begin to be reflected out of our lives. Just like if, I guess in a negative context, if you get sick. Many times there are symptoms of that sickness that take place on the outside. As, let's say, you get a stomach ache. You begin to keel over, and you begin to uh, start things coming out of your mouth, and horrible things like that, because there's symptoms of what's taking place inside, and things start coming out. And symptoms, I guess you could call it, of growth in the Christian life will be things that begin to come out of our life. And we can see that we must shine forth in a crooked and a perverse nation. And first off, we can see the purity, how one of the things that will reflect out of our lives is a purity in the world. Where it says that you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And 
a result of growth inward will be a purity in the world that we live in. As God, he saved us and he left us in this world. He didn't just take us up to heaven one day as the day we trusted Christ, but he's left us here for a reason. If you look with me in John chapter 17, see something interesting that Jesus said regarding this, or regarding us being left here, uh, regarding why we're here and how we can remain pure in this world. As, I don't know about you, but I've noticed the world and experienced the world is a really dirty place. It doesn't matter how long you're out. It doesn't matter if you're out for, for a little bit. It doesn't matter if you have to work a, a job every day in the world. It's a dirty place. We all get dirty. We all have to live in this world. But Jesus, he wants us to be pure in this world. And he shows us how we can be. See, in John chapter 17, starting in verse 14, it says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they have not the word, uh, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil, that they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. As Jesus says, praying to the Father, he says, my desire is that you leave them here, us. That you don't take them out of the world, but that you remove them from the evil of the world. And the way he does that is through the word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As he's left us here, and like, uh, like uh, Lot, who in Second Peter says, Lot, he was, his righteous soul was vexed after seeing and hearing the wickedness of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. As, as Lot was just daily bombarded by the evil, he, he didn't wash himself with the word. He didn't wash himself with spending that time with God. And as he didn't, we can see what happened. His whole family, um, his, his wife was turned to a pillar of salt. His, him and his, all the people he knew who were killed, he was in that city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He escaped by God's grace, him and his daughters, but that was about it. But we must wash ourselves with the word. How in Ephesians it talks about sanctifying and washing them with the cleansing of the word. As we must spend, we must spend time in God's word daily. Because we live in the world daily. Because it's a daily battle we have. How just like we have to take a shower or a bath daily because we get dirty. God says we must wash ourselves daily in the word. We must let the word cleanse us and wash us as we spend time in it daily. And it's so important, like I've said it several times, daily to spend time in the Word. As if we're not spending time daily in God's Word, we're missing the greatest relationship we could ever have. We're missing the, the greatest strength we could ever gain. We're missing the greatest cleansing that we could ever receive if we're not spending daily time in God's Word. And God, He's given us His Word to cleanse us, to, to allow us to stay here in this world so that we could reach out to a lost and dying world. But not only can we see the purity that we can have in the world, but secondly, we can have purpose in our work. How it says there in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 16, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. 
not only do we have God's word to cleanse us so that our light can shine clearly, but he has given us his word so that we do not run in vain. So we have a purpose, so we have a a plan in our lives to follow. As if you have, let's say you get, um, I don't know, a bicycle. Let's say uh, one of you gives your child a bicycle for uh, Christmas. And there's no instructions. It's just a bike. It's not put together. It's just a bunch of parts. If you don't have instructions, it's possible, but it's very unlikely that you're going to put the bike together properly. Uh, You might have handlebars sideways. You might have the front wheel in the back, back wheel in the front with all these messed up parts, parts and pieces. But God has given us a blueprint. He's given us a guide. He's given us uh, the directions, the instructions on how to live a life, not of vanity. As we can see, if you look throughout uh, Ecclesiastes, how uh, Solomon says time and time again, it's all vanity. Vanity, it's emptiness. It's, there's no purpose. There's no point in it. But if we follow God's word, there's purpose. If we follow God's word and God's plan, there's, there's a purpose, there's a plan, there's a, a motivation in our life that comes from God. And Paul, he says, again, he says, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And then we can look a few, a few books later in 2 Timothy, where he says, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. How Paul says, I've lived by the word. I've lived by God's blueprint, God's leading, God's guidance in my life, and I've finished. I haven't labored in vain. I haven't run in vain. I haven't lived this life mindlessly and aimlessly, but I've had a purpose. I've had a plan. I've had a focus, and it's been found in God's word. And again, we must spend that time with God. We must spend that time in God's word to, in order to have that purity in this world and to have purpose in the work that we're working for God. So Christian growth, it's a natural process. It's something that should happen. It's something that God's ordained for it to happen in our lives. And we we can see that we must have that source of consistency, which is found in Christ. It's not found in ourselves. It's not found in our own abilities, our own strength, but it's found in Christ alone. But we can see the scourge of complaining as something that's fighting against that spiritual growth. That serious sin of complaining. We must have victory over it by being content. And then finally, we saw the shining of our candle. We saw that God, he wants us to shine forth in this lost, this crooked and perverse nation. This crooked and perverse world. And the only way we can do it is by cleaning our lives with his word. And by finding that purpose, that focus, that that goal through his word. And if we, we live by these things, if we, if we apply these keys to our lives, we will have the spiritual growth that God desires us to have. And God will be pleased in it. He'll be glorified by it as we grow spiritually through finding our source in Christ by putting off complaining and by shining forth in this lost and dying world. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. And Lord, just thank you for how good you are to us, Lord, and how that you, you want us to grow. Lord, that you've, you haven't just left us to our own devices, but God, you have enabled us to grow by Christ and through Christ alone. And Lord, we just praise you and thank you so much that you have done so much for us. I pray that you help us to find our consistency in you. Help us to put off complaining. Lord, help us to shine forth 
in this crooked and perverse nation. All for your honor and glory. I pray that you be pleased in all that was said and done tonight. And I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.